Welcome back to Land Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. Today's beautiful episode was with my friend, Mr. Peter Crone. Peter is one of the most respected sports psychologists. I think that's the term for him, sports psychologist. Uh, he's referred to as the architect of the mind, and he works with all sorts of top athletes and celebrities and thought leaders of all sorts. And uh, you can see him in the Heal documentary, and which I recommend checking out. In this conversation, we go into all sorts of fantastic wormholes, particularly around Ayurveda and what it means to restructure the mind, how to start the process of gaining control of some of those thoughts streaming through our noggin throughout the day. Uh, a lot of really good stuff. One of my, I say that a lot, one of my favorite conversations, I mean that. Um, I think that this is one of my favorites, as was last week's. Son of a gun. I like them all, I guess. Um, thanks so much for tuning to the website, Align Podcast, A-L-I-G-N podcast.com. On there, people have been devouring the five-day movement challenge. I'm so grateful for y'all's gratitude on that. Uh, it's five fundamental movement patterns that everybody ought to have in their daily life, and it's broken down all free and simple for you. So A-L-I-G-N podcast.com, you can start that thing. Um, thank you so much to Blue Blocks for supporting this little podcast. Blue Blocks is a tremendous company that creates some of the stylist, styliest blue blockers that I have come into contact with. Um, they're great. I use them, especially when I'm traveling. Um, airports is like some of the worst time. You're just getting off a plane late at night and you get blasted by all those nasty lights. It's not what you want cause your body to upregulate all like the kind of stress hormones, which is fine in the morning, but not what you want before you go to bed. So highly recommend getting yourself a pair of blue blockers, wearing them like an hour, couple hours before going to bed if you're exposed to any blue lights. Another option would just be to turn the lights down at your house, uh, get like, uh, what do they call those, salt lamps, light a candle every now and again. It's kind of nice. Treat yourself right. It's romantic. Um, so you can get yourself a pair of blue blockers from Blue Blocks by going to blueblocks.com slash align. That's spelled B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com slash align. You'll get 15% off of your purchase. Highly recommend. If you don't have a pair of Blue Blockers, it's time to catch up with the times. Um, I think we're about good. Thank you so much to people for leaving reviews on iTunes. That is what supports this show the most. Uh, tell your friends about it, all that stuff. But the, the reviews... Give the signal to the algorithm, the gods that people give a, a, a shizzle about this show, and then it gets out. So I really appreciate you doing that. All right, here we go. Back to the podcast with the mind architect, Peter Crow. Bow. Align podcast. All right. We hear, we sound the, cozy, the, huh? the, official, <laughs> the official bell. Nice. The gongs of time. The gongs of time. What's your deal with Ayurveda? We're recording. Oh, we are. We're okay. on. Podcast begins. Oh, here we are. Starting now. <laughs> but it's <laughs> such a shame that they don't get to witness two men in their boxer shorts in a, in a sauna. Yeah, I know. It's, yeah. it's okay. That's all right. Skin yeah. rubbing against skin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Remind me of the theme of this podcast. Oh, whatever. Yeah. Mind body stuff. Okay. Whatever. Yeah, okay. whatever's, whatever's relevant. The triple X. Whatever's relevant version. to you. It could. This could be the beginning of that. Um, so, what is my deal with Ayurveda? Uh, How did you get I into mean, it? Yeah. I, I got into it. Um, 
about 17, 18 years ago uh, by virtue of taking a yoga teacher training program. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so the, the guy was sufficiently evolved that he recognized the importance of including the uh, softer sciences. And so he had an Ayurveda practitioner come in one afternoon and speak to our group. And uh, I was just wowed by the intrinsic intelligence that was just part of that science. So that started one of those sort of uh, uh, endless pursuits of understanding it. And as they say in the scriptures, it's a it's a many lifetime discipline. You know, it's mm. so in depth. But you know, seventeen eighteen years has given me a fair amount of knowledge. How do you define it for people that aren't familiar? Uh, Ayurveda. The way they break down the Sanskrit is. Um, the knowledge or the science of life is li the literal translation. So it's really looking at life as it is versus trying to superimpose any sort of man-made system on top of it, which is why it's based in the elements. So they recognize five what they call Panchamahabhutas, which are space, air, fire, water, and earth. And they combine into three subtle energies, which some people may have heard as doshas, which are vata, pitta, kapha. So... Very loosely, Vata is sort of more of an air-type person. Pitta is more of a fire-type person. And then Kapha is more of a earthy-water combination. And that gives rise to different characteristics in terms of body size and um, emotional tendencies, sicknesses, imbalances that we tend towards based on our constitution. Mm. Yeah. You said life how it is. Yeah, which what, is why I love it. Because, what, does you know, there's, what does that mean? Well, it's looking at the natural inherent qualities of and characteristics of elements you know everybody knows that water is wet everybody knows that fire is hot like you don't have to make up anything it's already there so if somebody has too much fire in their system then what's that going to manifest and present as somebody who's got too much heat or too much inflammatory imbalance versus somebody who's got too much air, you look at the wind. So the wind is very drying, it's cold, it's light, it's mobile. So those qualities will start to manifest or show up in someone's constitution. They've got dry skin, cracking joints, degenerative, meaning they have lighter frames. Uh, they might be tending towards constipation, anxiety, which is too much movement of the mind, like the wind. A, they're also restless. They can't sit still very often. So yeah, it's just recognizing the inherent qualities of life, which is... You know, to me, it's a beautiful way of understanding by just looking at what is. It's the power of observation. Right. Before we got into the the sauna, I showed you the 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 whatever that little little quote that I outlined was all outer phenomena is rooted in a subtler energy. Mm -hmm. And I think it, I've been listening to a bunch of different things with you, and that seems to be like a comes back to a, a foundation for your work with people it seems mm -hmm. is getting into that 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 root yeah. foundational part that yeah. subtler energy that from there everything sprouts out from mm -hmm. you know we focus so much on the outer and we kind of forget about like looking within yeah yeah is that kind of summate anything or is like how do you how do you define what you do with people um i mean that's i'd say that's definitely on par with it with some of my work um I mean, as human beings, we're seduced predominantly by our environment and our circumstance. That's really what we tend to talk about. Like, this happened to me, and I'm hoping that happens, and so-and-so did this, or so-and-so did that. It's all externally based, which is all well and good. But then when we use that as the excuse for our suffering, that's where it starts to become a little bit dicey. You know, because if we think that the way that we feel is a byproduct of our external circumstance, now we're a victim of circumstance, and... 
as a natural extension of that, what we're going to try and do is control our circumstance, right? Because it makes sense. If we feel that the external environment is the cause of our suffering, well, then as an intelligent being, you're going to do whatever you can to control external circumstances to avoid suffering. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's a reverse engineering process, which is, okay, if someone's dealing with a situation that is giving them some sort of dis-ease or discontent, we want to understand, okay, what are the subtler perceptions that are going on in the way that you're interpreting your external environment that are giving rise to your suffering? Because in my my vernacular, in my perspective, there's no suffering in life. life. Life doesn't contain suffering. It just contains circumstance. So people who think they have problems, whatever they be, from the gross to the subtle, um, are in my world uh, just simply looking through a lens that is the opportunity is to shift that perspective, not necessarily change their circumstance. Now, of course, there are certain circumstances that warrant some change, right? If someone's literally in a life-threatening situation because of their circumstance, they haven't eaten for like two weeks or something like that, they're not necessarily going to alleviate suffering just by virtue of like changing their perspective, you know? They need to get to the ER and they need to get an IV drip and they need to get some food. Yeah. But for the most part, day to day, as people are going through their life, they're really up against nothing other than the context of how they view life, not necessarily their circumstance. Have you ever seen the documentary Century of Self? I haven't. It's all about Edward Bernays. He's like a, I think he was the nephew of Sigmund Freud and he kind of was the, the beginning of um, marketing towards people's emotions uh-huh. you know so people beginning to define themselves based off of the car that they drive and the clothes that they wear and the food that they buy and yeah and so if you can kind of get under people's skin in that way mm-hmm. and then start to define themselves peripherally through these these outward things yeah now then you know now we have your your, your pocketbook we mm-hmm. have your credit card yeah you know yeah. and that's and then I, it feels almost as though the culture that we're steeped in is such that it's like it, it's kind of working against us mm-hmm. to be happy, right? From like inside. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. There's a massive emphasis. I mean, it's the expression "keeping up with the Joneses," right? Like yeah. for me, at the very core of who we are as beings. You know, it gets a little esoteric, but if by design we're all actually connected, yet through the lens of an individualized mind we feel separate, then we're perpetually trying to overcome that. Right. So, and that is the craving that a human being has for love and acceptance, whether it be in the way that they present themselves physically in their particular tribe or the way they have to present themselves on Instagram in the way that they're hoping to garner followings, which really is for them that dopamine hit of, okay, I'm being loved and accepted, which is never going to be sufficient, right? Because Mm -hmm. if you're being driven by a mechanism that by design is built on insecurity, inadequacy, and scarcity, it can never actually be overcome. Which is why I say, you know, my definition of addiction is you can never get enough of something that almost works. Yeah. So was acceptance, love, validation, those things, was that a, a, a pain point or a challenge for you in your experience in this life? I mean, n- not like a significant turning point in my life, but by virtue of the fact that I'm human, yes. <laughs> you know, right. meaning that I have my own version of a little boy who wanted to be loved and accepted and felt that he was good enough and reassured. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't say it was like some sort of pivotal moment. You know, I've had many of those, but I wouldn't say around love and acceptance. Um, different iterations of that for sure, but um, just by virtue of being in this physical body on planet Earth and looking through a lens of a of a man who thinks that he's a separate individual trying to you know find his place in society, then 
once I saw the mechanism for what it was, then yeah, then there's transcendence of that, which is true freedom and liberation. Mm. So what is the, how does one start to step outside of the kind of the, the consumer model and be able to even like begin the process of looking at one's inner operating system? Um, I think, you know, the pivotal points to look at is wherever you get upset. I mean, it's that basic. It's like whatever triggers you. You know, I use an expression in in all my work, which is, can I be with this? And it may seem like a strange, you know, series of words. But to me, it's very profound in the way that I get to see whatever the circumstances that's happening. Can I be with it? Right. Can I stay present with it? Or am I going to go into my mind in some sort of emotional reaction? So whatever that might be, take it to, you know, your boss says, oh, can you see step in my office in 15 minutes? And if I get a reaction to that, then that's showing me that I have some internal concern, fear, doubt, which is really about me, which is then a opportunity to look at, okay, what is my concern as it relates to my survival, yeah. right? So in this case, it might be I'm concerned that I'm going to get fired. Now, that hasn't happened. He might equally, in the world of pure possibility, be calling me in to say, listen, your work is incredible. I want to offer you an opportunity at higher management or whatever, right? So um, being able to reverse engineer any of those upsets, that's the challenge, right? Is to Because once we're in it, we tend to be in it. It's like asking a guy who's had six shots of tequila to just sober up. I mean, it's in his system, the alcohol. Yeah. So once somebody starts that cascade of hormones based on a reaction to a circumstance, which is an old trigger based on history, it takes somebody who's really disciplined and dedicated to the work to just sit still for a minute and go, okay, why am I being triggered? What's the actual fear here? Because that's all it is. It's just a fear. Yeah. The brain is perceiving a potential threat. And whenever we see some potential threat, to me, that's gold. Now, at the moment, yeah. it's not perceived as gold. It's perceived as I want the, I want this gone, right? I don't want something to happen. And so if you can just reframe that and go, wait a minute, if the objective here, which as far as I'm concerned it is, is to be free and to be powerful and to create, then where is that being in any way thwarted? Where am I being triggered in a way that now makes me feel powerless, makes me feel like a victim or inspires some kind of fear? And wherever that does happen, now you have an opportunity to find more freedom. Mm. What was the last trigger that you've experienced? Um, or is there likely a consistent something? You know, for me, it's, um, I mean, my triggers growing up were definitely around like love was always such a great catalyst for me, like intimate love, meaning not physically, but like energetically romantic love. Like, so finding somebody that, I felt very connected with, but then feeling the potential of that being pulled away. Yeah. And so that was, that was a deep trigger in me just by virtue of my upbringing. You know, mom dies when I'm seven, dad dies when I'm 17, I'm an only child. And so my brain saw anything of value, particularly a person uh, that was pivotal in my life and that was really a powerful value asset and somebody that gave me both love and security and support suddenly being pulled away mm. and in both cases um not predicted you know my dad went to work one day and never came back so mm. there's a potential shock component to it too right so my brain can very easily f uh, fabricate the concern for somebody who means something to me suddenly not being there yeah so that that used to be a very strong trigger i mean that's something i dealt with a long time ago so um 
that I would say that was my predominant trigger for also my awakening, right? To realize, oh wow, there's part of me as my humanity based on history that has developed a concern for loss. But then I also recontextualize the story of loss. Loss isn't actually something that literally happens, it's a perception. You know, it sounds crude, but my dad went to work and was in a disaster and he passed, right? That's, that's what happened. I didn't lose him. It was, right. you know, bring a little lightness. It wasn't like I was at the shopping mall and couldn't find him, but he was still alive. You know, then, then, then it's lost for a minute. But, so to be able to just even be very objective with the way that life happens versus having our subjective story on top of it, to me, is also a very powerful way to deal with life. Yeah. There's all sorts of interesting research around how our, our postural patterns affect the way that we think and the way that we feel. Yeah. You know, so when you're in like a hunched over position, it's easier for a person to access more challenging memories. When you're in like an upright position, it's easier to access like more uplifting memories. Mm -hmm. um, and there's just, there's like endless different versions of, of things like that. Yeah. You know, if you put a, a, a racer or a, what was it? A, a golf tee in between somebody's brow to kind of furl their brow. Yeah. They end up being to make them look like resting bitch face, look, yeah, look yeah. angry. They actually yeah. perceive things in a more angry fashion. Well, Give yeah. them a pencil of the teeth. They, they actually smile. They see things as being more happy. Uh -huh. Do you know of anything like that in relation to words? Um, it seems obvious. So, like, so give like, me an example of what you mean. Well, so just like that, for example, like you, you were saying, like, uh, I lost my dad. Right, oh, right, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, what yeah. does that do to my adrenals? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm so, so passionate about um, words, you know, because the expression I use in my quotes, I'm writing my first book and I write in quotes. And one of the ones I say is, you know, uh, wardrobes, uh, sorry, words are the wardrobe for the soul. Right. Hmm. So, uh, meaning, depending on the way that we define ourselves, which is in language, then the essence of who we are, which as far as I'm concerned is pure potential or pure possibility, it will start to be shaped. You know, not necessarily instantaneously, but certainly over time, if somebody's fundamental belief of themselves is that they're somehow not enough, then they have no choice but to embody that, literally, as you're saying, in their physicality. So, it might be somebody who plays coy or shy or sort yeah. of their posture is a little low, uh, but also in the way they speak, communicate, the way they act and behave, and consequently the results they get, because it's sort of this cascade, right? If who I am is a certain way, then I have to communicate, feel, act, and then consequently results that are an inextricable connection to who I am. I'm not going to create the life of someone I don't think I am. Yeah. That's just physics. So this is why I love working with entertainers and actors, because they do it for a living, right? They have to literally read words on a screenplay, and then they adopt the characteristics of that person they're playing. Yeah. And if they do it convincingly, you know, we get like entertained as a viewing audience and maybe they even get accolades or whatever. But they know that they're taking on qualities that aren't necessarily who they are. So in that, they get a sense of what it means to be flexible in terms of our persona. They're yeah. literally taking on a facade. But as us as individuals, we took on a facade at age two, three, five, eight. And before we knew it, it wasn't a facade anymore. It's who we are. Hmm. And then all we do yeah, is, probably. you know, then we're like nail our foot's nailed to the floor, so to speak. And then all we're doing is trying to manage that. Yeah. Yeah. You become the mask. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. like, that's, I, I, I'd imagine Jim Carrey's The Mask movie. I was too young to be thinking about things that way, but I imagine there's some like deep symbolism there. I, I would hope so, right? Like, I mean, I'd have to revisit it. <laughs> yeah, it was a long time ago. I don't know. We can give credit to the writers for being that do, smart. Do but. you know, do you know, um, I bet you did, do you know, persona uh, is a Latin word for through sound. 
Yes. And so it's it's the yeah the, the, the talkies the, the masks. Yeah. 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 And so yeah. that was so that you'd wear these masks with these mm-hmm. megaphones inside, so you yeah. could project across the theater, so people could yeah. hear you. Yeah. And so like literally, your persona it yeah. comes. It's a your mask yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah which is a perfect description of what i'm dealing with like you know one of my more thought-provoking quotes i say uh, you know i'm i'm not here to help the person i'm here to get rid of the person right yeah the person needs to die in order for the full expression to come out yeah the person is like the shadow you know and it's not wrong and there are certain attributes that we develop by virtue of being human and developing skills and language and information and talents and which is great but we want to look at what are the fundamental limitations and inhibitors or constraints to full self-expression so it's that part of the persona that we want to bring to the surface and reconcile because that as i said is the access to freedom yeah i had this thought um at one point it's a little wacky and i haven't really thought it all the way through entirely so i'm an experiment here sure yeah um you know, so uh, in relation to like that persona, that person needing to kind of disappear, go away or die or, you know, like the, the it's like the death of Christ, I think is kind of a symbol for that in the resurrection. Mm-hmm. It's like the loss of that mask. Mm-hmm. And so you can come back into your deeper self mm-hmm. um, in relation to like spreading an idea out of your, you know, birth from your consciousness in order for it to be able to spread and be like a prophetic thing, like the Bible or the Quran and like the prophets that created that. Yeah. My sense is for something to be able to permeate culture in such a way like that, you need to actually, your person, your persona needs to die Yeah. in order for that message to be the way that I was visualizing. It was like almost it's like your ego being attached to that message makes the molecules too big and the zeit- the filter of the zeitgeist kind of like blocks it out. Yeah. It like stops it. Yeah. But yeah. if you can die, yeah. then your message can, it yeah. can, it can permeate and it can move. Yeah. Does that sound like some crazy shit? No, it just sounds very <laughs> fundamental to me. It sounds okay. very basic and it's, it's founded in the, ro- the laws of physics, right? Because if it's based on the individual, then it's being reinforced by that idea of separation. And this is where we see way too often and certainly in seems in this time frame like the ego you know what traditionally called the ego with the i where there's the holding there's the ownership there's the pride where it's my idea and so wherever there's that holding there is actually the resistance versus recognizing it's part of the collective there's um one of my spiritual sort of teachers that he, he passed well after i was born but um he's an indian traditional guru and he had this beautiful metaphor which is like the ego is like a salt doll like a doll that's made out of salt but liberation is throwing it in the ocean knowing that the doll itself will dissolve but you actually are still there Hmm. right so the the form the persona has to disintegrate to your point and similar to the doll that has to dissolve but nonetheless i'm still held by the collective and even more powerfully powerfully so if i recognize that because rather than it being incumbent upon me as an individual to try and force my way into society or carve my name in yeah. in the community it's like no i'm a part of the fabric i'm held by life you know and i sort of tongue in cheek say i'm a trust fund baby not because I was left a penny by my parents, because you know we were middle class at best, but rather that I trust in the universe. I'm held by life. So even when things don't seem to quote unquote go my way, according to Peter's subjective opinion, there's always a deeper knowing that it's actually going my way. <laughs> and that, again, to you know the point earlier, that alleviates any suffering. It may not be my preference. But there's a deeper knowing that even right now, as circumstances unfold that might not be how I intended, 
there's some deeper lesson or there's some greater benefit that's going to be revealed with time. Yeah. Have you done any work around like any kind of like somatic therapies? I think last time I, I talked, I asked you about focusing, a guy called Eugene Gendlin, mm-hmm. um, where he, you essentially find some type of, you know, emotional unrest. You'll find like that, that, that tension manifests itself in your body somewhere. You say like, oh, well, like me being angry at my, my boss or wife or kids or whatever. It's like, mm-hmm. it's on like my, my middle back or my shoulder or my neck. Mm-hmm. And beginning to get kind of uh, the the first part is is creating an image around that. Yeah. You know what kind of image pops up? Maybe it's like I don't know, fill in the blank, whatever image it could be bowling balls or whatever. Right. And then from there, actually, kind of like gaining a relationship with it and asking it questions and kind of seeking answers in this tension that we hold in our body. Yeah. Have you heard any things like this, or like how would you approach tension in somebody's body? Um, I mean, I've heard of it. I mean, there's a certain degree of correlation to that in Ayurveda, but certainly in Chinese medicine, you know, they recognize how different (coughs) organs are associated with different emotions. Um, So I would say somebody who's studied Chinese medicine would probably be more apt to answer that question. I see it uh, when I'm working with people in their physiology. The first place I see it is in their breathing. So when somebody's coming to see me in whatever state, it doesn't even have to be like this panic freaked out place, but really there's just some unrest in their relationship or They've got some kind of sickness they're dealing with or they're concerned about their career or finance, whatever it is, whatever humans deal with, right? Which is, is pretty limited. Yeah. Um, as soon as they see that there's actually no problem in their reality, it's all based on how they're perceiving it and certainly how they're pro- sort of projecting what that might mean about their future. Right. Once they get that, their breathing patterns change immediately. So that's the first thing I see as a correlation between what we're thinking and how we're, we're physiologically affected. And then that obviously has another cascade, right? So if we're in sympathetic nervous system because we're in fight or flight and we're releasing adrenaline and cortisol and our breathing is shallow and quick, then our ability to digest, for example, is going to be compromised. So now we're not actually nourishing our body. It doesn't matter what you're putting in there. It could be the finest organic foods. But if because of your mental state, you're in a slightly mild state of fear or stress, then the actual mechanics of your body doesn't work properly anyway, right? right? So there's a whole slew of different impacts of having a mindset based in fear versus one of freedom and love and possibility, you know, so. Yeah, it's interesting that the the literal experience of not being hungry or not taking on food, like your, your system kind of closing down to allowing the nutrients to enter. Yeah. It's a similar thing that we do with, with love, mm-hmm. you know, or any kind of relationship or maybe even like, you know, abundance or, mm-hmm. you know, getting the, the things that you deserve. It's like, if you, if you're in that shocked fight flight yeah. state, then it almost seems like there's some type of block. Yeah. Well, that's the persona, right? So, you know, I was literally just in a lunch meeting and someone was talking about like getting to the to the sort of the finish line or whatever it is that you think you want, like this new great experience. He said, it's amazing how as I get closer to what, excuse me, I think is going to be great, I come up against more and more obstacles or resistance. And I was asking him, well, why do you think that is? And so he gave his answer, which, you know, was legitimate, but I wanted him to understand it's because that part of you that was the previous iteration of you is having to die in order for this new, whatever you qualify as great, because it's not great. It's just what it is, you know, to somebody who's quote unquote more evolved in that particular area, that might be very average, but it's great to the previous view of yourself. 
And so that part of you has to literally be reconciled and let go of in order for the new version of you to have those circumstances be born. And so there is a lot of stress at that point. Yeah. And that part of you that's needs to be let go of will typically go out kicking and screaming. Yeah. That's the resistance. It's like, right? a, it's like a parasite. Yeah. It wants to survive. Well, but yes, it's, it's primary objective is to survive. Because it has to, because it's fictitious, right? For somebody to think I'm not enough to then be presented with an opportunity that might be the antithesis of this, right? Oh my God, it's a person that is amazing to me. Why would they want to date me? Or it's a job that brings me way more money than I ever dreamed of. Like, don't F that up, you know? Like, right. whatever it is externally that then is triggering the internal fear is going to be the biggest obstacle. Having the event happen is relatively easy. But for that person's perspective, it's it's like a tug of war. Yeah. So that's that's evolution. Though. So that kind of like why when people win the lotto, they go right back to where they were within a short time. Four I don't know what years, the time yeah. is. Yeah. Um, I yes. I mean, psychologically looking at it, or energetically looking at it, like who they are isn't somebody who knows how to manage that particular amount of cash. Uh, and so, and equally, how do they manage all the unforeseen events that happen? Meaning the people that suddenly came into their life, either, you know, cousins that they haven't spoken to for 20 years who want handouts to yeah. people who are befriending them, but really with ulterior motives that they don't know how to sift through and these wonderful, like quick rich schemes that somebody offers them that sound great because they haven't had to earn themselves. So they don't know if it's really legitimate, whatever it might be. Yeah. But energetically, yes, I would say because of the frequency of their consciousness, the level of their consciousness isn't in keeping with that degree of abundance. Yeah. I was reading, yeah. there's a, I think it's called The Millionaire Next Door or something like that. It's one of those books with millionaire in the title. Mm -hmm. um, and the guy called it the, your financial. Uh, set point mm -hmm. you know so we all have this like you know okay i have fill in the blank i have yeah. ten thousand dollars in savings or something like that you're like okay yeah. cool like that's 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 where you'll stay right you know so it, it change shifting your that in this case financial set point but i think there's there's so many different potential set points that we kind of we don't realize that we're that we've been set at for yeah. x amount of time yeah so how does somebody is it is like watch the secret movie or, or what do you do <laughs> to get beyond that yeah <laughs> I'm just gonna read my book when it comes out. I delineate book. all the ten. There's ten set points as far Good. as I'm concerned. That's Good. what I delineate. So finances fall into that. Oh, do you use that same language, set point? No, no. Oh, okay. No, I call it a construct um, or a context. So you know the framework that we live within, you know, gives rise to what becomes available in it. So I often use the metaphor of like if I live in a 500 square foot studio apartment then that is the context. That's the construct of my existence. So within that, it's going to give birth to certain conversations, meaning I'm not going to be in that space going, ooh, I can't wait to try and host the Olympics. Like that's not a conversation that gets born in that space. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Unless it's like the flea circus yeah. Olympics. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> right. So it's just understanding that the space that we live in is definitive. And that's also true psychologically. So if the space I live within... And the way that I view myself is that I'm not enough as a very simple, you know, construct that everyone can relate to. Yeah. Then that that now defines the way that I think, feel, act, and then consequently the results I get. Right. So those set points, to use your term, are the definitive. So we want to be able to, as I said earlier, reverse engineer what are our upsets and our triggers, where do we feel fear, and what is that revealing? about the way that I view myself that fundamentally is a, is a constraint. Hmm. 
that and then it's not about shifting circumstance it's about reconciling that construct so what do you think about affirmations and all that stuff i think it's a strategy all right yeah i'm not a big fan and and i don't say because you shouldn't do it but my question would be why do you need affirmations and more importantly who needs affirmations you're asking me well i mean just generally (laughs) you the audience like like and it's sort of uh it's an investigation, right? If I if I feel I need affirmations, who am I that is using that behavioral response or adaptation or strategy? It's not wrong, right? But if I have to look at myself in the mirror and say, you're a winner or I love you or you are enough, yeah, it's poetically like I get it and it's beautiful and I'm not against it, but I'm much more interested in what drives that. What's the underlying to go back to what you said earlier, the root cause of that, even that behavior. Yeah. There is a certain time, I would say, that affirmations, I wouldn't use that word, can be potent. But it's on the other side of reconciling constraint, right? So meaning, if I'm inside a 500 square foot apartment, but I'm saying, I am a 5,000 square foot home. I am a five, it's like you're kidding yourself, right? But if I get outside of that, and then I see the possibility for that. Now I can set an intention or a commitment, you know. So where I guess there's a little bit of, and it may seem like semantics, where I struggle with is like when I'm saying I am something, when it's in conflict with a deeper subconscious I'm not something, then it's just a fix. It's an attempt to get away from something. Yeah. Again, not wrong. You may get some transitory relief. It might get you through the day. It might get you through an interview. But I'm much more interested in the long-term benefits of actually liberating yourself from the subconscious constraints. Then you don't need affirmations. So what other tools would there be for people outside of affirmations? Um, Well, tools, you know, I get that question a lot. It's a tough one. Because tools are necessary, as far as I'm concerned, only when you're in the world of constraint. So the real, the number one tool is awareness which doesn't seem like much of a tool, but it is because if you recognize, I used this metaphor the other day. I said, like, if I'm standing on a ladder that's parallel to your ladder, but I'm on the 52nd rung and you're down on the 31st rung, and I'm talking about, you know, wow, this is incredible, but you're looking at a wall, but I'm, I'm sufficiently high enough that I can see above the wall. Now, from your perspective, you're like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? This is miserable. I'm just looking at bricks, you know, like right. that would be your metaphor of like life sucks. Yeah. So it's the lack of awareness of what's on the other side of that. Now, in this case, you know, if we were to really jump into the metaphor, the tool is you've got to just keep climbing, right? Yeah. So keep moving forward. Um, what's but- the mechanics of climbing look like? It's doing the work, you know, and that could be do yoga, move, breathe, you know, become more open even in your body. Like that can release emotions, do workshops, you know, talk to friends who like you are inspired by, who you have the trust of, um, who you feel give good counsel. I mean, it could be therapy to coaching. There's many things that we can do, um, but I say they all fall under the auspices of becoming more self-aware. Yeah recognizing what are my patterns what are my triggers and fundamentally what are my what are the deep subconscious linguistics so we say of how i define myself first is trying to constantly perfect my circumstance which is what most people are trying to do which yeah. is exhausting <laughs> yeah yes i feel i feel like sometimes i'll go through kind of like many existential crises of having not knowing what 
what to do exactly. Uh Right. You know, like I have time and I have resources and Mm -hmm. I have these, you know, great opportunities happening. And then Mm -hmm. if there's, uh, I've noticed myself insulating like my, my deeper feelings or deeper self with these opportunities and with, you know, all these different random, you know, the, the, the freezer and the sauna and yeah, yeah. the yoga classes and the workshops and like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I'll still sometimes notice when there's gaps yeah. and between that, I'll start to kind of observe this like restless stirring happening inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so my solution to that, I think is just sit with it, you know, just meditate. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just allow it to come up and, and, yeah. and, and be present with it and watch it yeah, and don't judge it and all those things. Yeah. What do you think? I agree. And I would <laughs> still say that's under the, uh, the umbrella or the auspices of awareness, right? You're starting to be aware of the feelings, even the restlessness to use your word versus being driven by it or informed by it. So that goes back to my statement earlier, can I be with this? So if I can't be with something, meaning I'm getting triggered, I'm getting upset, I'm getting scared, I'm feeling fear, I'm feeling anxious, whatever it is, that is a ripe opportunity to develop more awareness. Okay, versus trying to control the circumstance or the person, let's look at what is the actual driving force behind my experience, right? Because it's clearly not coming from them. We might think it is, that's the illusion, right? Well, I'm upset because they said something. No. They said something, and the way your brain interpreted it was as some sort of potential threat. It was basically a bruise to your ego. You got upset. That's your work, right? Mm -hmm. So sitting still, whether it be meditation or literally just sitting and breathing and doing a little bit of self-inquiry, that to me is the greatest form of evolution is versus just being in constant reaction mode constant reaction mode which is how most people are yeah you know you're just in traffic and a car pulls in front of you piece of metal and plastic driven by a human being you don't know will probably never meet and yet you get upset by it yeah now what that's saying is that external circumstance controls my emotional state and more so that person is in charge of my emotional well-being yeah (laughs) when you break it down it's totally nonsensical I get it, like I understand, but it's got nothing to do with that person. Now, if you were to use that event and go, okay, I can see that I'm actually not sleeping properly. I haven't worked out for a while. I'm eating shitty. I'm in a relationship that doesn't serve me at a job that doesn't actually fulfill me. Now I can see that I'm in an emotional state that is of my own responsibility. And that person was simply the catalyst for me to see that. Now, if you want to be responsive versus reactive, right? Reactive is to them, you know, flipping the bird. Fuck you. (laughs) That that achieved a lot versus actually now getting into a place where you can look at, okay, what's going on in my life that I'm so easily triggered? Where can I be responsive or response able to deal with certain imbalances in my life? The restlessness you talked about, the in the, the, discontent that I have in different arenas or the the absence of responsibility in the way that I'm taking care of my physicality yeah you know sleep is a big thing these days it's amazing how many people just they're just not rested right do you have a sense sometimes I question what's the point of evolving and like what are we evolving to like where are we going Mm -hmm. with all this work yeah just joy like what's the point uh for me it's it's uh the ultimate game of cosmic hide and seek like i feel it's both a it's a game of real emancipation right like you know houdini like you know let's wrap ourselves in this cosmic like sort of uh, straight jacket and get out of it <laughs> yeah it's, yeah to me it's less than joy i think it's about freedom 
Yeah. I think this paradigm and this dimension that we're in is based on constraint and fear. Yeah. And the game is who can get beyond their fears and constraints the quickest. Not like it's a race, but I mean, that is the ultimate intention. Whereas most people are playing the game of like, as I said earlier, circumstantial perfection. You know, who can create more wealth, bigger stuff, better status. You know, it's all an external game. Um, my My passion and my work is about winning the internal game which is I'm at peace regardless of what the circumstances are. Can you leverage the external game to to um, ameliorate or, or better the internal game? Or is it typically... I think so. I mean, oftentimes it's the other way around where yeah. the, you know, the discomfort of our circumstances can be the catalyst for awakening, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know many yeah, people right. who've gone to a place of call it enlightenment or greater awareness or a higher frequency that didn't get there by virtue of some adversity. <laughs> um, yeah. I think there's probably a tipping point where you've done enough work that now you can use your external circumstances. Like if you have resources to go on a beautiful yoga retreat somewhere that itself can be inspiring, go to an ashram in India and sit with people who are at the same frequency. I mean, that we could argue is external circumstances supporting uh, some kind of internal transformation. Yeah. Uh, I think it's both. Um, I think for the most part, people have to do the inner work first. Um, but, you know, life will bring all sorts of crazy, unpredicted things. Like I literally found out yesterday that a baseball pitcher I'd worked with um, many years ago, so we hadn't been in touch for a while, but uh, he was found dead in his hotel room yesterday. He's 27. Damn. So no one predicted that, right? Now it's created this... Um, suicide or what? It was overdose? They haven't said. Um, they're, not, they're not announcing yet the cause of death. They said there was no unfair play or whatever they say to be politically yeah, correct right. um but you know i can't imagine what is going on for the family members he had a wife um and then obviously his biological family and then his teammates you know as a courtesy the team's not playing uh yesterday they weren't playing yesterday well. um but you know that could be an external circumstance that is the catalyst for somebody to go you know what what am i doing like why am i ignoring my loved ones why am i not talking to my father for 10 years just because of something that he did that pissed me off you know like we just it's so trite and it seems like a little bit redundant but you know we just don't know when our time's up right so yeah. i've got first-hand experience as i said my dad going to work one day and never coming back and he i'm actually older now than my dad was you know and it's sort of a bizarre mm. thought to think you know here's a 17 year old kid and i had no no, that wasn't a conversation. It wasn't like he was 80 and, you know, had Alzheimer's and it's sort of this inevitable journey. He was fit. He was healthy. So I think external circumstances can be an incredible catalyst for uh, self-realization and transformation. Uh, you know, and sadly, it seems in this human paradigm, it's often something that's a little bit discomforting. But Yeah. You think that we can... That we can um reincarnate out of this form you think that if we if we drop all of the the, the tensions and that are kind of like holding us here yeah all of that restlessness and stirring around and mm -hmm. you know or fear of abandonment or lack of you know all like that's all those things yeah it feels in my mind that almost that's like that's what keeps us on earth yeah and if you completely void, like clear the table entirely, yeah. I feel like you just turn into like light or something. Yeah. Disappear. Yeah. That, I mean, you, I don't think you're wrong. I think I know there's a story, I forget his name, but there was one Indian guru who just one day decided he told his disciples like, you know, he'd gotten to that point. 
and he just walked into the river Ganges and that was it. You know, he's like, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I cleaned the house. It's, yeah. There's nothing left yeah, to clean. Worry. I've taken there. care of all my estate. Um, I, I look, I mean, I've had those thoughts for many reasons in my own journey, you know, but I think more often than not, it's a very poignant conversation and I've helped a lot of people through transitions like that. I, it wasn't that long ago, a friend of mine in London called um, saying, you're the only person I know who can help this very profound fashion designer who's uh, threatening to take their life. Um, and I think everybody has their own versions of that, you know, and I think it's very poignant because the reincarnation I would speak to is not necessarily of another dimension, but within this one, right? So I think if you can learn to die whilst you're still alive, it's a very powerful journey to take. And this is what I showed this guy as he... You know, talking about suicide, and of course, I wanted to meet him there with love and compassion. As so I get it, it's a hopeless feeling. Um, you know, you have all of my sympathy, and I said I would just, if if you're open to it, I'd just like to invite you to consider it in a different context. And uh, he, he, you know, with some resignation because he thought he knew what I was going to say. Because everyone's like, "Oh, but you're an amazing guy, and you've got everything going yeah. for you, and all of that hogwash." You know, which is sympathetic, but it's not authentic. Um, I said, you know, I find suicide to be an incredibly powerful time in somebody's life because it really is the death of something, but not you. It's the death of the idea of you, which is no longer serving you. And it was that to me is a reflection of that awakening, reincarnation. It's evolving to a different frequency. And for him, it was pivotal because he'd never looked at it that way. He thought the I that we perceive ourselves to be, which is just this thought construct or persona, as we've talked about, is he's gotten to the thresholds of it and it's no longer serving him. And so it does have to die. But again, to our point earlier, that's where there's the most amount of resistance. So if you can transcend that, step into a new frequency or new paradigm of yourself, that is to me resurrection, but whilst you're still on planet Earth. So what was the story after that with the person? he's i mean he's a different guy because he let go of that person that was you know with all i'm not going to share what he said but basically his view of himself was really shitty <laughs> you know to keep it in very simple psychological terms yeah he you know that he's this and he's that and i'm bad and nobody cares and well if you live within that kind of framework who would want to live right but then the investigation is to what degree is that framework or the way you've defined yourself an actual truth versus something that you've accumulated over time because of what you heard when you're a kid and and then he got to see on the other side of that that's not who he is it's just who he's believed himself to be for many years yeah so in the absence of those beliefs what becomes available was like holy shit i'm totally fine i'm like i know that <laughs> is there any thought pattern that that didn't serve a person at one point so if there any thought pattern that didn't serve yeah like everything that you're accruing at some point it was like for survival i would imagine like your, your body's doing the best it can to survive in the best way possible so all of those patterns of i'm a piece of shit and yeah i don't deserve anything it's some at some point there was probably value there it I'd serves imagine. purpose yeah no it does it but the value it serves or the for the entity that it serves is what i call ego or identity Right, so it only serves in as much as it sustains the idea of ourselves. Otherwise, it has no value whatsoever, which is why it puts up a struggle because it's fictitious. Like the ego's number one priority, its MO is to be right. Why does it have to be right? 
Well, because otherwise, its whole existence starts to become fragile and disintegrate. Yeah, that's why religious conversations can be so challenging. Between nations, between religions, let alone between couples, right? I mean, yeah. what's the biggest bone of contention in any relationship? It's someone's right and someone's wrong. Yeah. I mean, really, if you break it down. Right. But all that's happening is my opinion is one that's better than your opinion. I mean, if you, it's, it's so childish when you really break it down and people are killing each other over like you know it would be like me walking into a gap and killing a guy because he bought a blue sweater when i think he should get a red sweater yeah i mean it's it's i mean i don't want to be callous about it again but it's like really people are killing each other over an opinion do you think that that's been the nature of humanity since the beginning do you think that's like a primal thing or do you think that was something that was created for power by some I don't know. Hard, I mean, Illuminati or something. Hard to say. I'm not that old. <laughs> I can't go that far back. It's interesting thinking back. Like, no, what was the no. beginning of us hating ourselves or, or not accepting uh, your, your humanity? Like, like like humans are the only species I, that are like trying to unhuman ourselves. Yeah. You know, dogs I, I like, really dog. would say, Relax. based on what I can see and in intuitively feeling into it, you know, there's always going to be competition. But healthy competition, I think, is is it's vital, right, for growth. Like, you know, you could say competition is you against a weight that is a little bit more than your body can withstand. So there's a degree of competition, a mild amount of resistance, which helps you to grow. So I think to have healthy competition is one thing. I think, you know, the birth of it would have probably been once we started to get all of these labels and really so it's in language, right? So if I was born on a piece of dirt that someone once called England and then you're born on a piece of dirt that somebody once called America, well, in the language, we've created separation where there was none, right? So I think through time, we've created different fragmentations and different categories in words. So, oh, well, I'm Christian. Oh, well, I'm Buddhist. But says who? You made that shit up. Right. Yeah. So it's not wrong, but it just creates that separation. Now, if we create separation with the fundamental laws of the ego wanting to be right, if it feels a threat from somebody else that's jeopardizing its own perception, then you've got conflict. But where's the conflict? It's only in my beliefs again. So what are beliefs? They're based in language. So I would say, just reverse engineering it, that, again, I can't speak for thousands of years ago, but I would say certainly in current day um, society, it's all based on beliefs. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting how it's interesting how the language that you're indoctrinated into or just like the spoken language actually forms your your mind and your belief systems yeah like are you, are you familiar with uh, i think it's vietnamese people they don't have the subjunctive form meaning like if i was there i would have done that oh, okay it just doesn't exist uh-huh interesting so it's like you either do it or you don't do it yeah there's no i would have right could have you see don't race through right. like oh man that i would have picked him up and i would have you know <laughs> <laughs> so like that whole, yeah. your potential to access all of that bullshit is just not even there because your language doesn't Beautiful. it doesn't fit it yeah you know there's yeah. there's other different forms of that as well but it, it's interesting that's like yoda right like, <laughs> do or do not there is no try right know? and that's like i love to say i have an intimate relationship with reality which is to me what that means is i'm dealing with what is i'm not dealing with my fictitious tale of what could be should be or would be yeah it's it just makes life a lot easier you know, the number of times, like, I remember this, this guy, for whatever reason, I had a couple of domains, this one guy wanted to buy off me. And he was down in um, one of the southern beaches, not far from here, and he, he had a restaurant. So as part of the exchange, he bought this domain off me. He said, oh, you, you sound fascinating. I'd love to invite you for lunch. I was like, sure. So I went down to have lunch with him, and he had this great seafood restaurant, and we're sitting there about talking very similarly about the woods, could, shoulds. Yeah. He said, yeah, but I, I, I could have not invited you. <laughs> and I said, 
no. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, no, that's impossible. He's like, no, I, I, you're only here because I invited you. I could have not invited you. I said, absolutely not. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I'm sitting here. <laughs> I'm here. Right. So you, you couldn't have not invited me because I'm here. Right. <laughs> that is totally hypothetical and literally impossible. Yeah. You know? So what do you think of a, a key restriction in, and there's a difference between the word happiness and, and joy. Have you ever heard sure. that? Yeah. Like I mean, joy, I've, I've, so, I feel a difference. I don't know if I've heard whatever you're going to say. Yeah, whatever. Joy, joy comes from the word, I think it's Cairo or something like that. And it's just, a, it's a deeper meaning of like mm-hmm. embodiment with, with spirit, your, your inner spirit. And it's like this, this deep yeah. sense of well being. whereas happiness some mancuria, something like that. I don't remember what the word is exactly, but right. literally the the meaning of it is more like, oh, like I I I got, you know, money or I got. It's more temporary. It's like kindling. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. so is language something that's blocking us, or is there any kind of keys? Yeah, I would say you know I actually did just did a recording for a documentary um, coming out, which I'm excited for, just about sort of really humanity and how we you know interact or how we don't interact currently. Yeah. Um, just sort of around the feelings of joy and kindness particularly and you know they asked that similar question about the difference and i always said you know happiness is a personal experience right it's how how i'm happy because things went my way yeah so it's always going to be transitory because the whole world isn't and the whole universe isn't conspired to keep you happy yeah Whereas joy, to me, speaks to what I was saying earlier, which is it's a much deeper take on the fact that life is happening for me all the time, even in the absence of happiness, right? That's a deeper sense of, again, I use the word freedom or peace, where I'm totally in harmony with what is, which is a joyous experience. Even in the, the moments of adversity in my life, if I'm coming from a deeper understanding that this is for my greater good, for my greater evolution, for some form of growth, that is a joyous experience versus if it is that transitory, superficial, yeah. they said something nice, I suddenly got what I wanted, I got the thing that I've been... That's fine. I mean, don't deprive yourself of those moments. But if you become attached to that as your source of some kind of internal sense of joy, then you're going to be very disappointed. So, Could there be some kind of sneaky layers of, of um, maybe disappointment or loneliness with the world is happening for me as opposed to for, for us? Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, it depends... I mean, within the individual, there's always going to be the, you know, the roller coaster of good and bad. It's the world of duality, right? What we perceive internally of good or bad. Yeah. Um, and that's why happiness is transitory because it's the sort of the bedfellow of sadness, right? You know, so you can't have one without the other, like sun and the moon, the night and the day, whatever you want to talk about. It's the, the, the world of duality is what gives rise to us even being able to have an experience. Yeah. I'm suspicious of people that are excessively happy. Yeah. It's Whenever often I'm, a compensation like, like, hmm. mechanism. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, I've had my own trials and tribulations, you know, many years ago, fortunately, where I started to come from this place and there was a little bit of a misperception that that meant that I was always going to be in that state, you know, but then that's actually a stagnant state to be. Yeah. So for me to continually sort of push the edges of my own experience is where my growth continues. So, um, but that speaks to more the joy part, right? Like, which is, wow, I'm excited about the, the, the premise of self-realization and evolution. Like that's something that I know actually happens more efficiently in the face of some adversity or a little bit of resistance that's growth um 
So, you know, to go back to to the question about me versus us, I mean, I think when you really get, like I said, beyond the idea of I, then it all becomes us. Like if life is happening for me, then the way I interpret that is it's not like I there's a me and life is doing everything in accordance with me, like I'm some sort of spoiled, like, you know, entitled child, but rather I'm part of life now. Yeah. That's why it's it's for my benefit. So I think in the deepest understanding of that distinction, there is a reconciliation of the individual. It's like I'm part of the whole and it's got my back. Yeah, it's wild the the, the separation, you know, just the, the belief that there is separation between you and I and like the wood and the sauna and the air and the water and yeah. there's a oh, what is the this strange rock? The Will Smith Netflix documentary thing. Okay. You seen that thing? You know what I'm talking about? The strange rock? Round rock, anyways. But they, right. they they do a really beautiful depiction of um, this Amazonian river, uh-huh. and it's moving and it's going through. And we see the river, but then they extrapolate out, and it's like going into the tree roots and out into the leaves, and then the water right. goes up into the sky, yeah. and then there's this continuous cloud river above, and right. then it, boom, it crashes into the Andes, and then back into the river. Yeah, you're like, beautiful. oh fuck, right? They capture that. I have to check it's it beautiful. out. It's yeah. beautiful. It's amazing. It made me think of uh, Avatar, you know, like where they recognize the interwebs. Connectiveness of everything. In that case, in sort of in the movie, they they capture it through all the root systems and how everything's interconnected. But yeah, yeah. I mean, physics now looks at it, right? The unified field or quantum physics, entanglement theory. All of these things point to the fact that everything, at some level, some level, is interconnected. Now, as we yeah. look through our individualized mind, the very design of the equipment of being human gives rise to the experience of separation, which is helpful only for the realization that it's a facade, which seems so paradoxical, right? Meaning, uh, if, if we weren't given the illusion of separation, we wouldn't get to have the joy of unity. Yeah. Right? right. And that's, you yeah. know, I love love, right? So, I remember looking at a picture of me as a little kid, and we're at the docks. My dad used to work on the, the boats or the ferries, as we call them, going between England and France. And England and Belgium and I've got my cute little like onesie outfit or whatever and I'm running with my arms out now my mom she was still alive so I probably were like three or four or something and she's behind me sort of ushering me like a caring mother and off film like you can't see it in the picture I'm obviously running towards someone my my arms open and I know just by virtue of you know the fact where we are and it's my dad and what it gave rise to in my understanding of that the energy reading into that photo is there's such a joy in missing someone yeah right that missing is an aspect of love and i think it's something that most people take for granted you know in terms of like they're so attached to one another that they don't give each other enough breathing room and to actually miss each other you know people might talk about it very casually but like to make it a distinct part of your life right there's a joy in that and so why i'm speaking about that as it relates to the bigger cosmos is the separation is the missing Right, I'm craving something. I want to feel held. I want to feel love. I want to feel acceptance to come full circle. Oh, wow. I only get to feel that again once I transcend the illusion of separation. Right. So there's a beauty in the game, which is I'm, I'm under the perception that I'm a separate individual only so that I can see that's not true. And there's such a bliss to be found in transcending our sense of separation. Love it. On that note, we have... 25 seconds before the sauna turns off. <laughs> That's how do people Just as well, where, I'm where sweating do, balls. Yeah, where do people, I know you started sweating into your teacup like right away. That was, that was I impressive. Just, it's one way that, like you said, the cycle of life. That's I'm just huge. rehydrating myself. <laughs>
yourself. <laughs> That's human superpowers, the yeah. ability to sweat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what I'm are you... open, my friend. Yeah, you're, you're doing it. What, how do, what, where should people go from here? What's a good direction to point people? Um, for like how to continue studying or... With you. Oh, with me? Yeah. Um, I, I'm pretty simple. Two places. They can find me on my uh, website, petercrone.com. Uh, or now on the dizzy heights of Instagram recently and Peter Crone official. Cool. So yeah, they're best places to find me. How's your experience been with social media? Um, it's not consuming you? No, not at all. I mean, hey. you know, I, re- I, I wasn't interested for the longest time. Um, and that's why I still only have the, uh, the Instagram. Um, but I, I totally get it. I think it's a wonderful medium. It's like anything. I think it depends on the energy behind it, right? Yeah. Is there an agenda? Um, I think wherever there's an agenda that is based in self-fulfilling tendencies of like, I want to be seen, I want to be heard, I want attention, me, me, me. It might work for a while, but you're probably not going to get what you ultimately want. Yeah. If it's a form of inspiration, education, and legitimate authentic sharing without any sort of in order to or agenda, I think it's a beautiful platform, and that's at least my intention. Cool. Thank you, man. Thank you, brother. I appreciate. Yeah, that was fun. Doing the doing the talk. Yeah, All right, no, sun's really off. Fun. We're over and out. On okay. to the next. I'm gonna probably jump back into the cold. All right. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I want to present y'all with a fun opportunity of starting a program that I created called the Align Method Online Program that focuses on unwinding the unsightly patterns of staring into technology, essentially. So forward head posture, rolled forward shoulders, hyperkyphotic spine, disengaged glutes, knees collapsing in. If there's collapse in any level in the body, it will trickle up and down through the rest of the system. That program focuses on unwinding those things, giving you self-care practices, movement practices, and lifestyle adjustments, very subtle ones, that will give you all more flexibility, more strength, more confidence, more energy, all the good things. Um, And you can start the first week absolutely free and just go to alignpodcast.com slash method, A-L-I-G-N method. Along with that guy, you will receive the Align Band, which is a heavy-duty resistance band with a door anchor. And that also comes with its own online program that is free with that thing. Go to alignband.com and start that program for free. Um, I think that's it. I so greatly appreciate you guys listening to this conversation. So greatly appreciate reviews on iTunes, sharing uh, on the Instagrams or the Facebooks or wherever you do your shares. Uh, This program goes on lives on because of y'all so um it doesn't go unnoticed thank you for listening thank you for views thanks for joining your life enjoy